Hey everyone, it's your host James Olson. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to share a quick reminder that Pacific Sound Radio has our very own playlist called Van City Jams. Van City Jams features bands and artists that we talk about in every new episode we drop, along with a selection of our favorite local singles. The playlist is updated every week, so head on over to Spotify and expose yourself to some new and exciting Vancouver music. That's Van City Jams, only on Spotify. We now return to your regularly scheduled podcast. I'm trying to claim being an earnest person, because I think I think in my head being earnest is at odds with being cool, and so I'm trying to care less about one and just accept being earnest. Hello and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson, and on this episode, we are speaking with Michaela Slinger. Michaela is a singer-songwriter who plays a joyful, finely crafted, and panoramic style of pop music in the vein of contemporary greats like Carly Rae Jepsen and Taylor Swift. Fresh from her first major North American tour, Michaela is an artist on the rise in the Western Canadian music ecosystem. Her first record, Panorama, was an honorable mention on our Best of 2021 episode, and we had a lot of fun talking about her goals, the creative process, her latest release, and Tales from the Road. Here's the first track off of her new LP, This Can't Last Forever. This is Little Pieces. Kayla, thank you for coming on the show. Very happy to have you here today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks. Wanted to kick things off. I'm always curious as to what music our guests are listening to. And I want to ask, like, what song or artist or record do you have on repeat right now? I'm so glad you asked. Um, I have been listening to Calico by Ryan Beattie. I don't know if you've heard the record. It's amazing. It was produced by um, Ethan. I don't know if it's Gruska or Greska, but I think it's maybe one of those records where i don't know if it has hit mass critical acclaim but when i talk to other musician or songwriter friends it's like are you listening to calco and everyone's like yeah it's really good it's very um i feel like the production style is quite dry and minimal and i'm really into stuff that sounds a little more organic and live right now so i think that's why it's hitting for me and then to be honest i've been on a country kick an old country kick. I actually listened to a lot of country in high school. And so I've been listening to a lot of Shania Twain and Lady A on repeat. It's something about the summer. I don't know what it is. So, summer is the best season for country music, it feels it like. It is. There's just, uh, yeah, it goes together. So those are my my hit lists right now. That uh, Calico record that you mentioned, what is it like pop, singer-songwriter sort of stuff? I yeah, haven't listened to I'd it, say, but I want to now. Yeah, I'd say it's that that perfect intersection between pop and singer-songwriter. I guess I say pop, it, you wouldn't hear it on a top 40 mm-hmm. radio station necessarily, but I think it has that pop inclination. It's probably more in the singer-songwriter 
world. But I think he he was or is kind of a pop. He had a big pop record deal in the U.S. and is slowly moving his way towards his singer songwriter, you know, soul. Nice. Which is nice. It's a journey I think a lot of people go on. That's awesome. Yeah. You have an interesting personal history as a performer. How did you initially fall in love with music? Hmm, fall in love with music. Uh, I don't even consciously remember, you know, hearing music and deciding that I liked it or was interested in it. It, it genuinely has always just sort of felt like a part of me. It's felt really innate. And the stories that I've had told to me by my parents are just that I was singing and singing along to the radio from the time I could basically make sounds and form speech. So yeah, it's a, it's a cool question, but I don't even really have a conscious memory of it. I think there's little moments along the way that I remember like the Hilary Duff CD I listened to endlessly when I was seven, or all of these moments where maybe my love of music felt like it started to become more of a career aspiration and not just a hobbyist's love but yeah i don't know i've never really separated myself from the thing if that makes sense and at what age did uh hillary duff help inform oh the ripe age of i i want to say uh seven around seven or eight that was the first concert that i went to was i think the metamorphosis tour it's an amazing album i I gotta say for for a sort of disney family channel grown star I think the songwriting is is really cool and interesting. It wasn't it, it's still when I listen back now sometimes to the songs it doesn't feel like squeaky bubblegum pop. There's some depth to it. I believe they're one of the speaking for myself probably the first CD I properly listened to kind of pretty frequently was like a YTV like <laughs> pop pop mix thing which yeah. had an interest I actually remember some of the artists that were that were on there and one of them was hillary duff i can't recall the name of the song and you might be able to help Why me not? out with this no it was one of the more so yesterday uh, darker ballads come clean maybe something about like wings on it oh okay i know i know yeah. it because my brain is like a lyric fault but i'm not going to be able to it's not going to be very interesting yeah for the i podcast. just yeah no worries and i'll <laughs> i'll be including this on the playlist that'll accompany the the episode but i'm gonna have to go down a hillary yeah. duff uh, deep dive yeah you should and yeah. now that you said wings now breakaway by kelly clarkson is playing in yeah, my head it so. wasn't breakaway and breakaway surprisingly was not on that compilation i think it was Such like a 2004 compilation or something like that it's kind of funny some of the artists that were on there like kanye was on there ytv yeah ytv wow i think it was through How the did wire they get the rights to that? yeah <laughs> no they had like oh they had tons of people on there they had <laughs> hillary duff ashley simpson jojo kanye oh, as i said jojo so yeah. good yeah. I was going to say Pieces of Me, but no, that was Ashley Simpson. What mm-hmm. was that JoJo song? Um, get Out? Yeah, to Get leave. Out. And yeah. Too Little, Too Late. Yeah. yeah. There's Newfound Glory on there. There's Yellow Card. Um, funny for me that uh, that this the first ever Blink-182 song I listened really? to was on there. Cool. And it was I Miss You, okay. which I kind of enjoy ironically because I think it's a bit silly, but... Maybe I just alienated any listeners who like Blink-22. Well, I don't want to like, I don't, I never listened to it a whole ton of that's punk pop, right? Yeah. I'm a Green I, Day guy anyways. Okay. Like I know, I know the hit lists probably of those songs, but when you said uh, the song, I miss you, I can't conjure it up in my brain. I'd have to hear it. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I guess I'm <laughs> Five, obligated six, to throw seven, eight, go. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm obligated to throw it on the playlist now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
you, from the age of like seven, eight, you're like, oh, I want to be a performer. And you pursued that for a time, but there was a bit of a gap between you pursuing that and then earnestly returning to music and committing yourself to being a professional artist. So I'm curious as to what compelled you to make that grand return. Hmm. Great word, earnestly. I'm trying to claim being an earnest person because I think I think in my head being earnest is at odds with being cool. And so I'm trying to care less about one and just accept being earnest. So it's nice that you said that. Um, I Yeah, I was performing in musical theater in kind of youth theater and then community theater from the time I was five onwards. And I think I had no doubt in my mind at that point that I would go to Broadway and be doing theater for my whole life. I loved being on stage. I loved performing. And then I started to get more into songwriting around, yeah, probably age 10. I started writing songs and then sharing them more in middle school, high school, just with friends and the odd performance. Um, It wasn't like I made a, it doesn't even feel like it was a conscious sit down, think about it, you know, write out the pros and cons about not pursuing music after high school. But I also really loved school and the school environment. And I was, you know, like I was like a good student. And I think I, I felt like I should utilize that. And going to university never felt like a question mark for me. And for whatever reason, I was not interested in studying music. I wanted to study. I don't know. I want to study other things. Music to me is I I like the way that I have approached it where it's all been learning organically because I think as a more sort of type A student who was really rewarded in school for that kind of learning, if I'd put music in that box, it maybe would have changed my relationship to it. And so music for me is where everything is just trial and error. It's all an experiment. And so I think university was still a little bit more of that achievement complex that I had. And I had no grand aspirations for what I wanted to do, which is why I ended up going to this liberal arts school where you didn't have to declare a major for the first two years. I just wanted to learn. um, And I'm a curious person. And uh, I think I thought at that point I could keep music as a hobby and do it when I felt like it and maybe sing at the odd show. But I wanted to work in nonprofits or education, some kind of social change work. Um, I don't know. I hadn't really thought it through. I wanted to hold a briefcase. I wanted to wear a power suit. I wanted to get a fast casual salad on West Georgia Street. Like, it was just like all these things. I was like, I think this is what I should do based on who I've been affirmed that I am throughout school. Um, and yeah, then I graduated university and I was working at a nonprofit full time. And turns out it wasn't what I thought it was. And then when I had a little bit of space to check in with myself for the first time in my life after not being a student, I realized that what I wanted was to be an artist and a musician. And I'd known that since I was five. So it wasn't really this big light bulb moment. It was more of a return to something that I think I'd known and then let myself forget for a little bit. But no regrets along the way. I absolutely loved my university experience and it it changed my life from the people that I met to the way that I see the world and the like critical thinking skills I acquired. I actually think it's been really helpful for music. Yeah. And uh, I kind of had a similar experience as well, where I uh, didn't have the capacity or the, uh, well, really the capacity or the time to get a band properly together and play in a band when I was in university, partially because I lived on campus and I was fairly involved in a fraternity at the time as well. I was very much in that, UBC bubble. I was yeah. at UBC, UBC, but 
yeah, basically like within a year or so of graduating, I was just like, oh, I, I need to be in bands like right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been in a variety of bands ever since. But yeah, yeah I, I, I faced a similar uh, option to like pursue music school at UBC. But mm-hmm. the one instrument I was formerly trained on was the clarinet. And I was just like, I don't want to focus on the clarinet you're over it yeah i wasn't i didn't i just didn't see myself as being like oh i'm gonna be first chair in totally the, in the symphony for totally clarinet. and then you're kind of like that path feels pretty well worn like there's not necessarily that many things you could be a great session player you could be first chair other than that i don't Teach i mean it. i don't play yeah, yeah i don't play the clarinet so yeah. i maybe i'm missing out on all these other things you could do i with play it, bass but, now so okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, the the university experience for me was very positive and really community focused. And I just felt so like aligned with what I was doing and I loved learning and I loved, yeah, just, just not feeling like the things in my life were rote or routine. And then I think as soon as that, when you're kind of validated as being a student, that's allowed to be your focus. And then you're just thrust out into the world and it's like, now just go like do the same thing every day in a job like that just really didn't work for me and I think for a lot of people you go from that immersive university experience to then being like well wait how do I still prioritize friendships and relationships and community and learning and also making money and so I think well not that music is necessarily the world's greatest money maker but it does satisfy a lot of those other things that I just was not finding in the corporate world when I started needless to say music is just more fun (laughs) way more fun than office meetings way more fun and and it's it's constant learning um yeah it's constant learning well and in a way it's like you're learning how to be your own business owner as well Mm -hmm. but product's just more fun to work on and put out yeah totally but no you are you're running your own you know whether you actually are incorporated as an LLC or whatnot, but you're running your own business and enterprise, and you kind of have to have your finger in every pot. So yeah, lots yeah. of things I never thought. I'm like, I actually didn't want to be a bookkeeper, <laughs> but apparently I am until <laughs> yeah somebody I, comes along. In my band, I've introduced the group to spreadsheets. Oh, so we, we got spreadsheets. Nice. <laughs> I'm a spreadsheets. I'm a FreshBooks person. Oh, okay. Oh, well, yeah. Actually, getting into accounting <laughs> and software. And may we introduce our first sponsor? <laughs> I wish. Use yeah. the code yeah. Pacific Sound Radio to yeah, get ten yeah, yeah. percent off your subscription. <laughs> <laughs> if I say it enough, I'll just will it into existence. Yeah, there you go. Sponsorship from FreshBooks. FreshBooks. We'll see. That would be the best thing is just to only get brand deals with things that are actually super useful to you. Like FreshBooks for me, it would be like hummus and conditioner yeah you know <laughs> just things i go through a lot of trying to think of what i need i don't know, just grocery delivery that'd be sweet yeah just like <laughs> a permanent like save on or costco yeah just well maybe the... aim higher mine hearts you know mine hearts uh, i'm uh... it's like the pretty the pretty fancy curated grocery store Ooh. um south granville that like sounds granville expensive as hell <laughs> yeah yeah I used to live, it used to be the closest walkable grocery store to where my partner and I lived. And so it was always like, if we were out of something, you just kind of had to suck it up and buy the, the really fancy olive oil. Mm, $10 cereal. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. Shoot for the stars. Mine hurts. Come on. Yeah. There, there you go. <laughs> you want to expand? Get on the podcast. There's a certain purity and emotional directness to the style of pop music that you create. 
what mood or energy do you strive to capture with your music? Hmm. I think I'm quite interested in, and as I get older and feel more assured as a songwriter, I actually think what is so interesting to explore is the the gray area or the kind of middle ground of a lot of emotions, because I think what I have found, you know, my ripe age of 27 now is just that when you're younger, the way that you look at the things up ahead, everything feels so black and white like you know you're like well I'll just know that I want to do this thing 100% and this relationship is x and this relationship is y and I think everything is a lot more convoluted and your own feelings about things change on a daily monthly basis because you're evolving as a person and so I don't know I try to write a lot about love and relationships and self-understanding but I think from a place of maybe almost building comfort with that uncertainty of not knowing and then recognizing that not knowing is kind of the whole point of living I guess and kind of like celebrating that like I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) yeah yeah totally um yeah but not I don't know not in a way that it's I don't know I don't tend to write from a place where it's like I don't know what I'm doing and this all sucks and I'm you know I'm alone in the universe kind of thing I try to attach it to this grander meaning I think at least that makes me feel better where it's like well nobody really knows and being the the thought that we should know what we're doing I think is making a lot of us feel kind of loco yeah that's (laughs) the because like I'm 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 31 so kind of like that similar thing where just like the realizing that like societal expectations for a lot of things are definitely kind of horseshit. Yeah. Uh, And they're completely like, they're reinforced because we feel obliged to reinforce them about like, oh, by this age, you should have your shit together. Totally. Or whatever. Uh, And also the, what you said about like, seeing things in a very black and white way, especially in your early 20s or as a teen or whatever, realizing that, yeah, one, there's more gray and also like, you're, you, everything's so much more dramatic mm-hmm. as well i've noticed oh, for myself yeah. it's just like that like yeah no it's you know yeah that, that mountain really is a molehill totally just trying to let stuff roll off your back i know it's been a good exercise for me because i think i you know i often have strong opinions or ideas about the way that certain things should go and i think a good skill as an artist and just as a person over time is to let your thinking be le- and your feeling be less rigid and then in the moments where you're a- you actually know for a fact oh this is the way that something needs to go like I'm learning that and especially as an artist there's times where I'm like sure I had this thought you had this thought let's go with your idea and then there's other times where I'm like come hell or high water <laughs> this is what's gonna happen I don't care if I am acting like I'm bulldozing through something so yeah it's like figuring out how to be the author of of what it is that you want but also not like allowing yourself the space to change, I guess. Yeah, like the the value of sticking to your guns with certain things, especially. Totally. I mean, I imagine that also be especially important for you being an artist in the in the pop space, which can yeah. tend to be. And I'm just talking about like the general history of pop music, and it can be for some artists they allow or encourage um, external factors to guide what direction their music goes totally whereas others are like nope this is 
This is what I'm doing. I'm the captain of this ship. Yeah. Ultimately, I just think that's where the most interesting stuff comes from is when people are just trying to be the most themselves in what they're creating. Yeah. I think also you kind of tend to see that like critical acclaim only matters so much, but the, those pop artists that are received the most like accolades and tend to be, you know, get put on that legendary tier are the ones that are like, Oh, you just stuck to your guns more or less. Totally. Yeah. 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 And we're probably beaten down and weathered many, many times Mm -hmm. and had lots of crises of conscience of whether or not they could keep going. And then they kept going and now it all looks super simple, but the path is littered with like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Horrible experiences and doubt. Yeah. You look at any, any legend and they've got a couple duds in their catalog. No one's got a seamless catalog. For sure. No, it's part of the learning process. Actually, it's funny. I was just um, talking to another artist friend. We played a gig together the other night and he was asking if I would ever take stuff down from my back catalog if I felt like it no longer represented who I was. We were kind of having this conversation about it. And I don't know. At this point, I just sort of feel as though all of that stuff is, I don't know, it's showing you the the laid foundation for the house that you're now building. I think it all serves a, a purpose. I'm not one to try, to try to dwell too much on what I could have done differently in the past because I mean, I'm not the first person to say this, but everything's a learning experience. Mm -hmm. So it's actually good to have stuff. Now I can look back on and be like, Oh, I don't like the way my vocals were treated in that song. But at the time I didn't know that I thought it, I thought it was the best that it could be. And so it's cool to be able to look back and be like, Oh, I have a better critical ear now as an artist. I didn't have that then, but it doesn't make me upset that that's what I put out at that time because that was the best that I could do at that time with the knowledge that I had. Yeah. And it's like an artist is their own harshest critic. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, well, for one, there's no such thing as perfect art. Cause that's kind of antithetical, yeah. but also, yeah. Like allowing yourself to go like, no, but that's just a snapshot of where I was at as an artist. And totally this new thing, I'm so much more excited about than yeah. the next new thing. And yeah, exactly. Et cetera. Who are some pop artists that you admire? Ooh, there's a lot. I I feel like I talk about this artist all the time when people ask me, but I do really uh, think Maggie Rogers is a great example of the kind of artist and creative I would like to be um, in the way that she, yeah, approaches music and just at least where I was at in my journey, she was kind of the first artist I listened to where I felt like I saw a possible genre that I could kind of fall into where it wasn't quite this or quite that and it took all the favorite parts of a lot of the different genres that I like to listen to growing up Um, but she's also really I don't know she's just pretty involved in different causes that she cares about she will sometimes guest and write long-form pieces for different publications and she always has booths at her shows with different things and she collaborates with other creatives and I feel like she's getting into executive producing so I just think from a, a bird's eye view of the whole career and the way that she's a approaching being an artist and living an artistic life i really admire her um i love harry styles <laughs> it's so funny because i went to this liberal arts school and my friend who's also a pop artist who also went to my school her name's kenzie hates and she's amazing 
we talk a lot about this, about how it was so we had to, we were closeted pop listeners because when you're, when you're that age, it's so cool to be so niche and like indie and underground. And I don't really think I ever could have even passed for an underground person. Like I'm a pretty above ground gal. I like the big pop artists. I really admire what they do. So it was hard to repress. I had to, you know, look up indie artists and people were playing the saw at open mic night. It was just, I don't know, maybe you didn't have, you were in a frat. So maybe this, one, well, I mean, it sounds like hippie liberal arts. Uh, I mean, if, if we're talking about high school as well, I was definitely one of those, uh, classic rock snobs in high school. It's okay. just like, yeah, it doesn't have good, good riffs on it. I don't right, care. Right. Right. I don't care. Yeah. No, yeah. I've always, I've always quite enjoyed listening to top 40 and then finding the stuff that I like, like I loved Rihanna in high school. I listened to her all the time, listened to a ton of Taylor Swift, John Mayer, who are some people now that I'm listening to a lot. I've gotten in more into Haim recently. Their last oh, record, Women in Music, uh, part three to me is just so good. I know maybe they're not quite pure pop, but I don't really think a lot of things are pure pop that I'm listing anyway. Um, yeah, I guess these aren't really pop artists, but I listened to an interview with Faye Webster, who I quite like, and she's what? I don't know how she would describe herself. Americana pop, but she's signed to a kind of a more historic hip-hop label in Atlanta, which has informed the way that she makes her music, which is like she'll write the skeleton of songs, and then she doesn't play it for her band until they're in the studio. So it always has this really live magic feeling to it and there's it's not a ton of pre-pro that's done you just kind of go into the studio and see what happens so yeah i think it's like there's so many songs that i like and then there's also people who i look at who i want to follow along in the path that they're living as an artist so i don't know that was a wide-ranging answer edit at your leisure oh no that's great (laughs) we'll probably leave that in (laughs) on a similar note what to you makes for a great song Ooh, I definitely have some opinions about this. Uh, I think especially because lately in pop music, well, I said to you earlier, I think what is the most interesting is when you're making something that's the most specific to you. And I stand by that. I think there's a trend in pop music, this sort of almost hyper specificity or hyper literalism in lyrics, especially where it's like, you know, I walked down the sidewalk at 4.30 a.m. and I got a fizzy Coke and it spilled on my leg. And and for, for my own taste, and of course it takes all kinds of kinds, but to me that, it do, that doesn't do anything for me unless you can somehow tie it to this universal payoff where then I'm like, oh, I get it because I've, you know, I haven't had that experience, but I've felt the way that you expressed in the chorus and it made the verse make sense. So I think to me a great song has to have that magic mix of some interesting specificity or a twist on something in a way I haven't heard. But there has to be that that thesis that I can grab onto. Like if it's a ship, it has to be able to carry the vast majority of listeners. But I'm coming to that from a pop point of view, which is where I would I would hope that my songs could be widely, you know, like interesting to a large, diverse group of people. So there's some people who probably would not want that many people hanging onto their ship. Yeah, <laughs> in a way, you almost have the best opportunity within the genre that you work with to find that middle ground. In fact, like that middle ground's really what's like encouraged. Yeah. Versus, suppose in that group, they're like, "Oh, this is specifically about 
this person's divorced or whatever. Yeah. Like, they wrote a whole album about it. It's really specific and totally detailed about their life. Ooh. Totally, totally. And and sometimes those kind of very confessional albums are interesting. I don't know. There just ha- there has to be some universal connection, I think, for me. Because as a listener, if I can't and it's not necessarily just lyrics, it's just something has to grab me in a way where it immediately feels like a a part of me. I had yeah. that experience. Like, I don't know. And it's hard to achieve that feeling, but I've heard a couple songs come out recently where it's uh, upon first listen, something about it, it's like in my bloodstream. And I'm like, okay, I, I feel like myself listening to this song. Yeah. I guess an example I'd use for myself would be like the latest Caroline Polachek album. Oh, yeah. um, with, um, does, Oh, desire. I want to turn into yeah. you. Yeah. So good. Yeah. She, and, and again, the stuff that she does, it's not necessarily super sing-alongable, right? Like she's got Especially this amazing operatic oh range <laughs> and she's so, her voice is an actual elastic superhuman voice. But there's something about the way that she writes to her voice and the beats that she puts it over where it's infectious. Yeah. And the word, in that case, it's like, I don't even know if those words, if I've thought con- like desire, I want to turn into you. I'm just like, no, oh, that's kind of cool i've never thought that before what does that even mean what does it yeah yeah. (laughs) am i not already desire i've never thought about it i watched a um there's a netflix mini series called this is pop and they had an episode about the swedish producers in the 90s and how they just kind of wound up netflix series about that how have i not seen yeah well it's just one of the episodes about the swedish uh swedish Uh producers but you should check it out i think it's called is this pop or it is pop or something like that but they have different episodes focusing on different things okay and they talk about how um, I think it was like Dennis Pop and Max Martin and those mm-hmm. guys, how they were working together and some of their big hits were with, um, initial hits were with uh, Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. And they talked about how, and they kind of made some jokes about this because they even talked to a Backstreet Boy uh, member about this. He's just like, yeah, I don't know what I want it that way even means. No. But it's just like, that's that. I know. You know, that's one of those lyrics that everyone knows. I want it that I way. Want, want, what, what way? Yeah. What, <laughs> what? what is <laughs> Subway it? Subway <laughs> sandwich, toasted, yeah. untoasted. I know. Those are really cool examples, again, in talking about the universality and also that just stuff has to be really catchy is that, yeah, oftentimes a lot of our great pop songs that are sung by English singers are actually not even written by a native English speaker. So you get all these funny idioms are just phrases that like you when you actually say it as a sentence you're like huh i don't know if i would ever actually say it that way but something about it works it's but you know it's down to repetition and mouth sounds and having two w's the want it that way that's like there's a mental payoff there and using those four chords yeah, yeah yeah of course your first single flux dropped in 2019 and your debut album panorama was released in the midst of the pandemic what was your experience like building a following and establishing your musical identity in a time where opportunities to perform in front of a live audience were limited. Yeah. Um, it was hard. It was definitely tough because I think based on my live performance background, just from my childhood and the way that I wanted to approach the industry, it was quite challenging at that juncture in my career to have the live element taken away. And I was just kind of starting to find my feet and play local shows. And I'd played this kind of fun, like battle of the bands, almost competition. And so I got to play on some really cool stages in Vancouver. And I had felt like things were just starting to happen. And I was actually feeling okay, identifying as an artist. And then 
when I couldn't do that anymore. Yeah, I just had not made a I had not made a record before and then so doing all the mixing remotely and then trying to figure out marketing and then trying to do videos but with restrictions and then the people who are supporting that record not being able to do what they normally did in terms of taking industry meetings or whatnot like nobody really knew how it was going to go so I would say it was definitely tough um I did this little like Instagram live series for the first eight weeks of COVID where I would just go on Instagram live and play songs and that feels very cute and far away now but that was quite nice I think I just really care a lot about the the connective part of music um so those were still the highlights for me even though it was virtually singing to people um but I do think that because I sort of started my career with all of these unanticipated roadblocks or limitations, when the travel restrictions lifted, I just, I was like, okay, now I've got to really, really kick it into high gear, almost to make up for the time that I did lose and to go network and write and really expand in the, these directions that I haven't been able to. And so that sort of spurred me going on all of these writing trips kind of around North America to a couple cities and really figuring out what that life was like. This is something that I noticed in, I think it was your Spotify bio. You had a meeting with a psychic before this most recent album touring cycle unfolded. And I'm curious as to how that meeting foretold the events that would transpire. Yeah. I, I think also in the bio, it says I'm a bit of a spirituality skeptic and I think I'm, I'm definitely open to that stuff, but I, wouldn't seek out a psychic and and pay for it. I don't know. I'm kind of like, I'm kind of middle of the road. I really like that stuff, but it's not where I find all of my meaning. But my sister had seen the psychic on FaceTime and she was like, it was really great. My aunt has seen her. She's like, yeah, you've got to do it. And it was during COVID. And I think all of us were just struggling to figure out what was happening. So, you know, I was like, okay, maybe she can't. I don't know how this works. Maybe she can't see into the future, but whatever she says, I think it's like people who are really into horoscopes even if it's not based in what we would call quote unquote fact or the scientific method if it reflects if it is a mirror that holds something up to you and you find meaning in it then that can just be the end in itself so I was looking for meaning I was looking for something during the pandemic so I talked to this woman on FaceTime and she was kind of asking these questions and trying to figure out what I did and then I didn't really tell her right away but she figured out that I was a musician and then she was like it kind of seems like you're between two worlds, you kind of got this more like country-ish thing and the pop thing. So I can, I think that you're going to be splitting your time between Nashville and LA. And it was just very strange because I had been embarking on planning my first writing trip in November of, I think it was 2021 before I spoke or after I spoke with her. So I was planning to go to LA and Nashville. So hearing her say that, and that I was going to be kind of between these genre worlds, it was, it was just, you know, it was affirming. I was like, okay, cool. This person has foretold that I'm going to go to these music markets and that maybe something's going to happen. She also said some other stuff that has not yet come true. Mm. So waiting on that. Hello universe. Check in with, where's my platinum album. Yeah. Check in with (laughs) Sheila. Um, yeah. So she foretold that I went on those trips and yeah, they were very, uh, I think they were really helpful for my development as a writer and also in just feeling okay, you know, being the driver of my own ship. And it's it's hard. It was really, it was such an ego test of DMing, you know, 
500 people, writers, artists, publishers in, in these cities and just doing so much research and Instagram creeping and looking at the song credits on Spotify and getting a, a couple, if if a couple replies. I call it the shotgun blast. You're like, all right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And even if only one or two things stick out of 500, then you go down and you have one session. And then that person will at least know one other person. And if it goes well, they'll introduce you to that person. So it is. it has been a cool reminder that, you know, you put one foot in front of the other and then you just keep going. Get the, yeah, it's like a snowball turning into a avalanche. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A yeah. bigger snowball. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, just like a lot of little snowballs. Yes. <laughs> so and this ties into your latest release, This Can't Last Forever, as you mentioned. The album was written in a few different cities, LA, Nashville, but along with Vancouver and Toronto as well. How did your experience interacting with the music scenes in each of those cities influence the creation of the songs that would wind up on this release? Hmm. Well, it was definitely uh, doing all of these trips over the past two years was the most time I'd ever kind of spent away from home and the least, I guess, just life stability I've ever had. And so I think that that helped me unlock some different areas of just what I was interested in writing about because I was missing people who were here and I was questioning what kind of life I wanted to live and questions of self-doubt and how to proceed as an artist, but then also not being able to imagine not doing the thing. So I think just by by virtue of being away and testing my own limits as a person who kind of thrives on routine, it was good for me to sort of see what happened. And it has kind of been consistently interesting because, you know, I tell myself, I'm like, you know, I'm a, I like to exercise regularly and eat right and, and go to bed. I, I feel like I operate well on that. And then I'll go on these writing trips and I'm not doing any of that. And I'm in the studio like 10 days in a row and it's like late night greasy food and I'm not sleeping that much. And I actually still have a great time. So I think it's just, it's nice to, I guess in these cities where I was not from and I was with new people, it's nice to stretch the limits of who I am and kind of try on different versions of my identity. And then what was so great about all of that is that I was in, you know, like sunny LA writing about missing here and then in Nashville writing about the impermanence of everything and writing the title track for the record. And then I ended up getting to kind of record and make all of the songs here in North Van with my producer at his home studio. And so the actual making of the record and recording everything felt really comfortable because I was at home. I was going to North Van. I have a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins who all lived really close to my producer's house. So it was just really nice. Like I would go teach some of my cousins swimming lessons because they had a pool in their backyard and then like walk over to my producer's studio and do stuff. So that part felt really grounded in my life here. Um, Yeah. Nice. And for this record, and you've hinted about this, uh, but you collaborated with uh, Khalid uh, Yassin, who's a member of Juno-nominated Canadian folk band Wild Rivers, and producer Ryan Stewart, who's worked with Carly Ray Jepsen, Smash Mouth, Al City, amongst many others. What was the creative dynamic like between you three, and what perspective did Khalid and Ryan provide on your songs as you worked through the recording process? Yeah, two two very talented people. So Cal and I just worked together uh, writing one song, and that was in Nashville. So we've actually only met that one time. And you're always getting serendipitously put into these rooms with other artists and he his band is opening for the chicks right now which is just 
so yeah cool. i so, saw that yeah 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 um I don't know. It was just really, it was really easy him and I writing together. And we both were also just on a similar brainwave at that time in our lives and talking about being in stable, healthy relationships and how that's actually a really lovely thing, especially as an artist where I feel like a lot of people are, are floating or kind of in and out of different dynamics. We were just appreciative of our situation, I think. So that, that was kind of an isolated, but wonderful writing experience. And then Ryan co-wrote, uh, three songs with me on the album and produced the whole album so him and I you know we saw each other a lot a lot a lot um, and worked together a ton and developed a really cool uh, writing and collaborative relationship so I don't know I have too many th- good things to say about him I think he's so talented and I think people know how talented he is but I also just still feel like he deserves more recognition and also even in being so good he's actually just a really genuine lovely person and it's funny because I never know how the dynamics will be with different people and like Ryan's older than me he's a dad he's more established in his career so you never know it's like are we actually going to be able to find footing where we can both create something that we feel speaks to both of us and we ended up just having wonderful wide-ranging conversations and getting to write a lot of songs that came from when we chatted about life stage and me being like okay I'm you know, in my mid to late twenties and I'm looking ahead and I want to be established thinking about family down the road and marriage and all these things. And then he's in a different stage. So he can look back from my, from where I am and then tell me what he's learned along the way. And then what some of his hopes and dreams and fears are about the next chapter of his life. So yeah, it ended up just being so wonderful. I can't, I, yeah, I could give you more synonyms for wonderful, but that's what it was. That's a good one though. Your latest release is half the length of Panorama, the previous one, uh, with that first record feeling very sweeping and emotionally poignant. Uh, There's notably the inclusion of interstitial interview tracks with members of your extended family. Was there an effort with this release to tighten or shift focus a bit? Definitely. I think part of that was informed by where the industry is at and how people are interacting with music. And I think... I, th- I just had it in my head that the first thing had to be a full, a full length album. And so I'm super glad that I did that. And I would say of the, I don't even know how many songs are on Panorama, I think 12. And then there's like six voice notes from my grandparents. Of those 12 songs, I probably only had 18 songs or 18 to 20 song ideas in total that I was working on and then the more I started listening to interviews with other artists I I admired or talking to people I think this next time around you know I had probably 50 or 60 fully finished or not finished songs and I'm always writing and I have like a lot of voice notes as well and then to be that curatorial and specific about what stuff makes the cut I just knew that for my next project it was going to set the bar a little bit higher for me, which was good. Cause like I said, it's all about the learning process. So I feel like I made Panorama in the perfect way for where I was at that time. And just wanting to put out a body of work that represented basically my life up until that point. And then this can't last forever was representing a much shorter time frame instead of the first like 24 years of my life. It was kind of like 24 to 26. Yeah. It's kind of the, uh, I guess the 
you call it narrative about debut albums for a lot of artists is that like oh you're sitting on all these songs forever and they're like yeah. capturing everything that you've been working on up until that point mm-hmm. whereas the the sophomore is like capturing oh just what you did between the two releases totally yeah and i also at least for the first two records that i made i don't uh i don't sit down and kind of map out the album and then try to make songs related to that i kind of am just always writing songs and then i kind of see what's bubbling to the surface and then i with looking back at what i've done realize that there's a couple themes that are probably what the album is about so i guess it's maybe more of a an emergent approach and that's not to say i'll always do that i think there's something cool about sitting down i know at least maggie rogers is like she's got the title she makes a mood board she knows the colors she knows the textures she knows what the album art is going to look like i think that that would be a really wonderful way to make a record down the road but at least what i've done is i just it always just feels uh like experimentation and then something rises to the top it sounds so organized (laughs) (laughs) i know i know i'm impressed by her her type a (laughs) this record is going to be orange and purple straight up straight up yeah i've heard interviews with a lot of artists who will say stuff like that and i guess with the white stripes it'd just be red and white (laughs) (laughs) all of them like well here we go again same color scheme (laughs) kind of on a similar note your previous release panorama feels very celebratory wow this can't last forever I wouldn't say it's a downer per se, but songs like Can We Take the Night Off and Just This Once and even the title of the record indicate more of a blue mood. Hmm. How would you describe the atmosphere of this collection of songs? Yeah. Uh, I think I've just tried to stay attendant to what it feels like to, to get older and to have different shifting priorities as we already talked about. And there's something about this particular stage in my life when I made this record where it just, there were just certain doors that closed or things that happened where it felt like my childhood was over in a more definitive way. If that makes sense, like my paternal grandfather died and I had some other family members who passed during COVID. And so I was in more of a, more of a place of, of recognizing that it was now my job to build the rest of my life and you know you kind of just inherit whatever you have in childhood and so I think I was figuring out what pieces I wanted to bring forward um so yeah it was not altogether a a blue time but I would say it was a time of a lot of endings and new beginnings which I think is probably why I was saying that I was writing from a place of exploring gray area and uncertainty even in the way that I was making the album like I'd never co-written in Nashville or LA before until this record so I was just I don't know. I was just out there. I was just, (laughs) I was just like open, open to a lot of different stuff and not really sure what would come of anything. So like gray blue. So like muddy water or something like that. Muddy waters. Yes, for sure. I was in the swampland. I was in the emotional (laughs) swampland. Swamp. (laughs) One thing I noticed, and I know other people have talked about this before, but the first song on the LP, Little Pieces, opens up with a very memorable line i'm 26 now but in la years i'm 50 which is me just flexing the music historian in me kind of reminds me of the opening line to nirvana serve the servants which goes teenage angst has paid off well now i'm bored and old <laughs> okay i didn't know that song nobody come for me i like i said i yeah. listened to hillary duff so yeah. i just learned something new um i like that 
how have you, and in the context of the song, especially, this is kind of where this question comes from. How have you come to terms with, you know, the un, honestly the unhealthy fixation that the in- entertainment industry has on youth? Yeah, uh, I I constantly am talking about it and thinking about it with different friends too, who are kind of doing music or other creative pursuits. Like my best friend is an actor, and so you know she feels very much the same thing. But I think. I was just having a really great conversation with a friend yesterday on the phone. And I think where I'm, I'm making more peace with not like giving a shit or as as little of a shit as I can about that stuff is just that the fixation on youth is at odds with building a career of longevity. And that's actually my goal is to be a lifelong artist and creative and to grow and change over time. And so if that's genuinely one of my goals and values in life, which it is, then to care so much about the fixation of youth is literally at odds with what I'm trying to do. You know, when I imagine myself being 60, I want to like be rocking my newly gray hair and still in writing rooms or maybe executive producing records or running some kind of like music organization or nonprofit that does something in music. So I don't know. I think it's just remembering that good things do take time. I actually, it came right before I drove here. I was the algorithm served me this reel and it was uh who's the guy who plays george in seinfeld oh jason alexander okay so he was giving i don't know what the speech was and i also thought it was going to be a funny speech did you see this i have it was like oh every musician needs to see this but he said that some maybe larry david or somebody told him you wouldn't yell at a a bud for not being a flower yet like uh, things bud and they take their time and then they eventually bloom and so i think when you get really poetic or sort of earthy about that stuff it is true it's just i don't know what the point of being in a rush is in a way yeah it's like uh you're just going to make yourself unhappy if you're frustrated with the process and it's better to be happy with the process totally yeah so i put it in a very trite way Everyone should watch that Jason Alexander clip because it's great. Yeah, it's really good. And yeah, the fixation on youth is definitely real. Um, but I also just think that it's it's every year that I get older, I'm enjoying learning more things and observing how I change and the people around me change and how my priorities shift. So again, if life is like one big experiment or lesson to be learned, I just it would be so boring to try to be perennially 18. Yeah, an example I would use uh, is a band that I discovered last year because of a documentary that Edgar Wright made about them, who's done like Scott Pilgrim and Shaun mm. of the Dead, that that guy. This band called Sparks. Okay. And they've been around since the 70s. They're two brothers. And I had never heard of them like in, in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is me, Mr. Music Nerd. Yeah, like, yeah. Ha- being aware of just hundreds of bands at knowledge. this point. A huge, like glaring <laughs> gap in my knowledge. I watched this documentary. It's like, who the hell are these guys? Their music's incredible. And I had the opportunity to see them last year at, uh, at, I think it was the Vogue. It was their first ever show in Vancouver. So that's probably part of the reason why I'd never heard about them. Whoa. But you know, they're, they're both in their seventies at this point. And it was amazing. I bet. Like it was sold out. Everyone was just so stoked to see those guys. Cause they're like, you know, talk about just keeping at it no matter what. Like, no, 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 we're going to keep doing our thing. Yeah. Who cares? Like, yeah, sure, we didn't achieve the, critically, they didn't achieve the same sort of, like, status and fame of their contemporaries, but right. every talking head in the documentary 
were musicians that I admire. Mm-hmm. Like Flea's in there, Beck's in there, Thurston Moore, mm-hmm. um, um, Alex Kapranos. It's just like, yeah, I love Sparks. It's like they're one of those bands where it's it's your favorite band's favorite band. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I also think the as I try to understand how the industry works and obviously it's changing all the time, but I think the fixation on youth definitely serves a a business purpose. Yeah, it's marketing. Too, but but just also in the way that like I am so much more self-assured in what I want to do now than I was when I was 17 or 18 or even 22. And so when we're always kind of trying to prioritize or or boost up the music of really young people, which again is is often really great and so experimental and creative and cool, but then you're also it's such an impressionable time that it's just kind of if you think about it, it can get kind of icky because it's like, well, how did they how are they supposed to know what they want yet? Right. So then it's setting yourself up to kind of have a a corporate cash out um at the expense of somebody's development. So I just feel like everyone deserves the chance to experiment and try stuff. Yeah. And speaking for myself as a music fan, I've always been more attached to those artists that have had like that longevity and you can see that growth and that tra- change and the willingness to actually like experiment and do new things on different songs and records. Totally. Also, to be straight up, it's really cringy to see people trying to like be younger than they are. You know, it's yeah. just, it, there's something that, and it's not probably for that individual person. It's more of a cultural thing, but it's sad. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> How I'm do you just do, not, fellow kids? Yeah, like I'm just... I don't think that high school is the best time of my life. No. Right? Like it just, it wasn't, it wasn't a a horrible time, but I would not for a second trade where I am now to go back to grade 11. You couldn't, you couldn't pay me. When I was in high school, I couldn't wait to go to college. Yeah. I was just like, get me out of here. Not that I was bullied, but like I didn't have much of a social life. I was better friends with my teachers than with my mm-hmm, yeah. you know, with my fellow students. Yeah. I was very much I was the kid with the Walkman glued to his head uh-huh. in the hallways. Uh. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a tough environment. So I don't I don't know. There's I think we all are like we're like a nostalgic species, and so I think it's always fun to write from a place of nostalgia, and it's really easy to look back at, on those things with rose colored glasses. But yeah, in general, even when you think about the themes that people are writing about sure i want to hear about what love is like from a 17 or 18 year old but i also really want to hear it's like from a writer who's in their 50s or 60s who's been married or divorced or i don't know like yeah takes all kinds of kinds to create a a picture of something yeah also oldest art an older artist tends to be even just technically speaking a better artist like yeah of course they're just, they're just better at their craft just totally. in general i guess with the exception that i think the one challenging thing about aging in the industry is that then you know old getting like jaded is yeah is is something that's not really that helpful for music and so i just think that if there's ever moments where the spark kind of goes away it's probably a good time to just step away and do something else and then Mm -hmm. come back to it yeah it's hard it's it's hard out here i get it yeah (laughs) it is yeah it's a it's a grind yeah but the grind's fun it's so well it's supposed to be fun yeah that's been my motto. I've probably said that in almost every songwriting session I've had in the past year is I'm just, it's, it's very life 101, but I'm like, wait, hold on. This is not only allowed to be fun, but like, it's kind of supposed to be fun. That was why I got into it. Just, I like doing this thing. So I want to do it. 
and it's already so hard. It's so challenging. We don't need to make it more hard and challenging on ourselves. We can just let the fun parts be really fun and enjoyable. Absolutely. Speaking of fun stuff, you (laughs) embarked on your first major tour earlier this summer with dates on the East Coast, the Pacific Northwest, California, and Nashville. What were some highlights and memorable moments from the tour? Ooh, the tour was full of of highs and lows, I would say. Um, So again, big life experimentation and something I'd never done before. I have not toured. I haven't planned a tour. So I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants, I would say. Everything from like I ordered a square reader to my friend's house in the US and then turns out my Canadian square account doesn't work with US hardware. And then everyone in the US uses Venmo, but we can't use it in Canada. So well, I had yeah, to we use don't have Venmo. a friend's Venmo account. It just like that's just one little example of just how when you're on that journey, it's like, okay, new problem arises. I've never had to solve this problem before. I guess I'll just figure it out in the moment. And then later on, I can reflect on whether or not it was the right thing to do you know um but some other moments like some real highlight shows uh i played this rooftop uh acoustic show in brooklyn in new york that was just i said to the audience this is exactly what a a canadian would picture that new yorkers do all the time is just a beautiful golden hour sunset rooftop show with all these cool looking cool dressed people so that was a nice highlight um I slept on a stranger's floor in Bushwick also in New York. Like literally it was a friend of a friend of a friend, three degrees of separation through a text chain. Someone had a mattress for me on their floor and my friend who came with me. Um, Some other highlights. I had so much fun at my Vancouver hometown show. That was a very validating moment. I think that was the first time I, I cried on stage. It was just, you know, you're, I was playing a lot of these markets for the first time. They were, wasn't always God's gift to ticket sales and I love playing music so it's always enjoyable but you know when you're playing to really small numbers after a little bit of time you can't help but tally and start to have questions come in your head and so to walk on stage at the Fox and look out and just like see everyone that was in the room like standing up at the front standing room like looking at me and my band it was just a very overwhelming feeling and the album had just come out so that was probably my favorite show overall um and then i had some cool opportunities come up while i was on the road so i actually had to cancel a couple shows on the west coast because i opened up uh for sasha alex sloan and dermot kennedy in toronto so that was a thing that just came about and yeah not gonna lie that was really really cool it was a huge venue it was super interesting to see what a tour at that kind of like global star level is like and all of the machinery and the team that it takes to pull something off and they were very gracious to me so yeah it was really cool yeah that's awesome i have some stuff that i can talk about my tour but i'll save that for off the air okay talking (laughs) about you not about me (laughs) endless stories about tour oh yeah tour is the best i would oh so i would get i guess um some tour stories I, i kept telling myself i was like okay things are gonna go wrong So as long as you know that going into it, it's okay. So then I, the first flight I was trying to take, I was actually flying out of Phoenix because I was there on a trip with some friends. I was flying Phoenix to Nashville with a layover in Denver. First flight that was booked for the tour to start my tour. I was flying in on a Thursday, rehearsing with the band. Friday was the show. My very first flight, I land in Denver. I'm supposed to have a two hour layover. There's a tornado, question mark? Of course. Yep, or a tornado warning. So they're like, your flight is canceled. 
And then the next flight was the following day at 5 p.m. And I was going to miss the rehearsal. And then they were being airlines. Somehow they're just protected from any responsibility. They probably have the best lawyers in the world. Don't get me started on airlines as of late. So I was just, I was just destitute and alone for over 12 hours in Denver. So I ended up staying in a hotel. And so that I was like, okay, cool. You know what? The thing went wrong. I was like, perfect. A flight got canceled. I missed rehearsal. I had to rehearse at 8 a.m. the morning of the show. I was like, perfect. Nothing else is going to go wrong. And then more things went wrong. Another flight got canceled. I was delayed like 10 hours in Newark. And, you know, inevitably more things happened. And so I think it was a very good experience for me because I really like to be planned and I like to have things under control. And whether or not you're that kind of person, when you do this kind of work, spontaneity is forced down your throat. You just have to be adaptable. And that's actually been really healthy for me, I think. Yeah. It's an adventure. Adventures. It's an adventure. Include ups and downs. Yeah. You just can't be, you can't be that regimented. And it's been nice to, I come from a, I come from a fairly like plan forward family. We've had a shared Google calendar my whole life. My family's all teachers. They can plan stuff a year in advance. And I think I'm now the squeaky wheel because you know they're always like what are you doing next february 12th and i'm like i don't i don't know you know i don't know but you want to makes it tough though because you also want to be available if like i'd I'd say for music as well like opportunities just get thrown at you sometimes very short lead time as well you're like oh shit i should probably take that on yeah the opening gig for dermot kennedy in toronto was i got emailed on the monday and the show was on the saturday holy shit yeah, and I was I was I had a sh- like three shows in the interior of BC and then I was supposed to be flying to Seattle and so then I had to, you know, reroute my travel plans and then get a flight from Kelowna to Toronto and figure out a place to stay in Toronto. It's like, yeah, you just have to kind of roll with it. Absolutely. So, considering this can't last forever drop just 2 years after Panorama, I imagine you're already working on material for your next release. What sonic directions are you you exploring with this next crop of songs? Oh my god. I'm so excited and I also yeah, I'm just so excited as soon as you asked me that I'm now beaming. I'm very very excited about this next chapter of music. Uh I don't know exactly what shape it's going to take. I I write constantly and I have tons of songs that are finished or half finished and at this point I kind of have a group of collaborators who I just like taking ideas to. So I don't know what the production is going to look like yet, but I would, I would say that I've, I've loosely been calling it like the Laurel Canyon project for two years. I think like I, like I was saying earlier in terms of what I'm listening to, I've been drawn a little bit more towards organic sounds and stuff that is maybe, yeah, two degrees more in the singer songwriter world still with a pop, sensibility and i still love writing pop songs um so yeah it'll be somewhere in that direction but i think also what is really exciting me about this chapter is now that i've put out two records in such different ways i'm really gonna focus on the process this time around and i know that i yeah i just want to make it surrounded by friends and people that i trust and not feel in any way like i need to rush and would really like to track a lot of live instrumentation this time around um yeah it like i said it's gonna be fun i think that's that's kind of the main thing it's gonna be a really fun experience and then cool stuff will come from it and some stuff won't be cool 
and then I won't put it out. There you go. That's where the B-sides <laughs> album's for. Or what did I say to tie it all full circle? No, I shouldn't care about cool. I'm trying to be earnest. Yeah. I'm leaning into being earnest. So yeah, the earnest stuff will come out. <laughs> and then the earnestly mediocre stuff. Exactly. Yeah, B-sides collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I'll, I'll start a side project for all my cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> side projects are fun. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Yeah. It's endless possibilities, which is also a fun thing about music. For sure. What do you have planned for the rest of 2023? I've got some fun festivals coming up in August and I'm doing several backyard shows. I kind of, I came home from tour and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and house shows and backyard shows are just such a direct way to do what I love to do, which is share music to a keen group of listeners. And so I just did one at my friend's place like right on the ocean and that was lovely and we took a swim after the show. Um, I'm playing Vancouver Mural Fest and Harmony Arts Fest and uh, this new festival called Blind Pig Festival and then I'm going to take some time away. I'm getting married. So I'm not going to be... Thank you. So yeah, I'm going to not be thinking or really stressing about music at all and go away uh, to Europe for a couple weeks and then come back and kind of make the the plans for this next record process. I'll definitely be going back to LA and Nashville and Toronto at different points, just kind of like building um, the songs in these places that have been really awesome for me. And then who knows, like I'll probably plan another tour next year, but I'm, it's very antithetical to my nature to just chill. Um, And coming back from this tour was sort of the first time I actually reached a point of exhaustion and like had some physical stuff going on where I was like I actually have to chill and I just can't be too concerned with what the future holds and so I'm in that I'm in that mode right now of just taking my time which feels good what local bands or artists would you recommend we check out or bring on the show for a future episode oh Vancouver is so full of amazing amazing talent so this is not an exclusive list um the band like my band, who I play with, they also have their own project. They're called Bungalow. They're amazing. They play with a lot of really great acts in town, but they're sort of a funk rhythm section, their own music. So Bungalow is your band. Bungalow yeah. is my band. Bungalow has been name dropped a couple times okay. recently. Well, so. they deserve all the name dropping in the world. I play with three of the four Bungalow band members just because that's how our setup bungalows. goes. The Bungalows. The Bungle Bros, as bungle I like bros. to call them. <laughs> um, so they're amazing and just like such a fun time. Um Mikey Jose, who's an artist that they work with and a friend of mine, he's just a stupidly good singer. Uh, he just played the Biltmore and it was such a fun show. Um, there's an artist named Prado and I'm a really big fangirl of hers. She does kind of pop R&B. Yeah. And I thought she was based in LA now, but maybe she's back here. I don't see, know. That's, that's why I feel like she is one of those people where you like don't exactly know where she's from and she has at least online because i've never met her so i'm if you're listening i'm a really big fan i've been listening to you for a while but yeah you don't know like where she is or what she's doing and her music is just so cool and to me in its own lane um and her visuals are crazy so she's probably one of my favorite artists and then um sam lynch is one of my favorite songwriters from here and <laughs> i was with her at uh breakout west and she won the western canadian music award songwriter of the year and so everywhere we went i would go up to people and be like hey did you know that this is the wcma songwriter of the year so she's a very good songwriter and you should have her on the show we have but i'm happy to have her back okay well i'm explaining somebody to you that you already know Um, to be fair it's been a number of years at this point 
The show's yeah. been running for a while. Yeah, yeah. She's been doing it for a while. Again, that's how you get really good at your craft. Yeah. You keep crafting. Um, there, I don't know. There's so many people, so I'm going to forget people if I keep talking. Also, I don't know if you've interviewed my friends, Vox Rhea. Oh, yes. Yeah? I interviewed them last season. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, they're wonderful yeah, they're as well. That record they put out last year was fantastic. Yeah. My friend Kenzie Cates, who I name dropped earlier to you, so we went to school also with um, the two sisters from Vox Rhea. Kenzie's great. She's based in Kamloops right now, but she's kind of from here and she's writing pop about right now. It's about exiting a cult that she was in. So Ooh. really interesting. I'll check that out. Yeah. She's a great pop writer. As a, as a side note, I, uh, some people like their true crime stuff about serial killers. I'm a cult guy. Yeah. You're a cult guy. Okay. Fascinating, so. <laughs> they are. Yeah. yeah. You guys would have a great conversation then. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Michaela. I think we'll we'll end it there. Thank Sweet. you again so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, James Olson. Before we close this episode off with one more song by our featured guest, I just wanted to let you know that you can keep up with what we're up to on Facebook and Instagram at Pacific Sound Radio and on our website at pacificsoundradio.com. If you like the show, you can give us a five-star rating and a positive review on your podcast platform of choice that lets you leave reviews. This is everything I wasn't looking for.